Welcome to Retire to a Life You Love with Michelle Gessner from Gessner Wealth Strategies. We inspire executives, professionals, and business-savvy women to better their finances and overcome the financial stresses of life. We do all of this by giving the advice you need to identify your goals and the confidence to achieve them so you can retire to a life you love. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to win financially as Michelle draws from years of expertise and talks with today's top business minds about their wins, failures, and best practices. Welcome to Retire to a Life You Love. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hello, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm excited about today. Well, what's on the agenda for today, Wendy? What fun yeah. things do we have to talk about today? Well... We are going to be talking about estate planning and some of the most common misconceptions, right? Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions in that in that subject, in that field. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the mistakes that you find people are making in estate planning? Yes, I'd be happy to do that. But now this, I have to say, you know, I'm not a lawyer. And so we're going to talk about some things. I am not giving anybody legal advice because I'm not a lawyer, but I see a lot of things that come through my office and through the years, I have been able to gather a few conclusions and, uh, and I do have a lawyer coming on to talk about a lot of this stuff. So, uh, but I just want to say that. Okay. So we'll fact check you then. Okay. <laughs> please, please do. Please do. <laughs> okay. You go for it. All right. So the very first thing I want to say with regard to mistakes in estate planning, very first thing is that people have no sense of urgency when it comes to even doing anything. They think they have all the time in the world. It's just one of those things that nobody really wants to get rushed about. And the fact of the matter is, is that it may not be urgent right now. It, it's important. Everybody knows it's important, but it's not urgent until it is. And then if you wait till it's urgent, it's too late. So estate planning gets pushed to the back burner and it really, really should not. So that's the number one mistake. Absolutely. Another mistake and I don't know if this is in any sense of any, any priority order. So it's not, I mean, if I had to make priority order, that definitely is number one, but the rest of what I'm going to talk about here, I no particular order, but here's something that I see a lot people, when they do get their documents done, they get these boilerplate traditional, what I call, I love you wills. And that's not my, my, you know, term, this is a term I've picked up from somebody but the traditional will with outright distributions is, is the I love you set of wills. So the reason it's called I love you is, okay, husband and wife, husband loves the wife, wife loves the husband. So she in her will is leaving everything to him and he is leaving everything to her. And then after the second death, it all goes to their children in whatever proportions with outright distributions. So that's your traditional boilerplate set of wills that just frankly is not right for everyone. There okay. are a lot of problems with those wills for some people, for some people, it's the perfect setup. If everything's going to be evenly distributed and you know, all of that kind of stuff, it can be okay. 
yeah, oh, sure. But the problem is it's not okay for everybody. So I'm going to give you a few examples of situations where maybe that's not what you should have. So if you're concerned about the money staying in the family, you want to listen up. So here, here, let's say you you have those those wills and the second of you has now passed and it goes to your adult child and your adult, adult child is in a profession that is vulnerable to lawsuits, such as the medical profession. If you have a child who is a doctor or is going to be a doctor, they're in a profession that is likely to be sued. Everybody knows that, right? Doctors know that. And, and so now the money that you've left them may not be lawsuit protected and they could lose it. Okay. Okay. So that's one example. So an outright distribution from a will, not a good, not a good uh, set of, of documents for that situation. What if you have a child who becomes involved in a car accident and it's an at fault accident, they're at fault and they get sued. Now people don't think about this. All right. I, I know I hadn't until it became uh, clear and, and I've had all of these things explained to me. So here's an example. All right. I'm going to use a real example that happened. It didn't happen to my client, but it happened to a fr- another advisor's client. The client was, was driving, uh, came upon a hill and lo and behold, I mean, you, you, you get to the crest of the hill and you can't see until you're right there. There was an accident that had just happened. And the accident, the, the, there was a, it was two car or a truck and a car and the car, uh, the woman who had been driving the car was thrown from the vehicle. The driver of the truck got out of his truck and tried to move her to safety and, and, and moved her to, to the median. Okay. Now here comes the, the, the daughter of the client, you know, who's driving up to, you know, he gets to the crest of the hill. She, she hits the the median. She no. ha- she can't stop. She can't stop. Right. It's, it's just happened. It's right there. And, and of course that's where the, the injured woman was brought. Now we don't know if the woman was dead before she was taken out of her vehicle or if it happened upon impact by the other driver, but mm-hmm. she was killed. Okay. Okay. Now tragic, tragic thing that happened. Now there's a lawsuit and the lawsuit of course is against the driver of the vehicle. And, and then now that now everybody has to determine what percentage of fault is the driver who, who hit the median and all that, you know, gets done. The point of this story is, Hey, this could happen to anybody. It could happen to me. It could happen to you. And if you get sued and it's for more than the liability limit on your car insurance, which for most people is at the most $500,000, do you think they got sued for more than $500,000? Yeah. Yeah. And so if there's money that was left unprotected from a inheritance, that money is fair game for that lawsuit. Okay. So he, that's an example. Uh, it, it, it happens. It has happened and it could happen. How do we Maybe, protect against that? Yeah. So there's lots of ways to protect against it. Now that's where the lawyer comes in, right? How do we protect against it? My job is to talk about these things so that if this is not fitting your risk tolerance, that you can ask for the proper protections. I want to give you two more examples, and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Two more examples. 
Maybe you have a child who's not good with money. Does anybody have a child who's not good with money? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't have kids, but I'm perfect with money. Are you? Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> maybe your child is not, you know, maybe, maybe leaving them a large sum of money is not the best thing to do because it just goes poof, right? <laughs> or maybe your child and maybe your children are not, are not married, you know, when you're putting this stuff together, but down the road, they get married down the road, they get married and divorced. And right about that time, they get their inheritance from you, right? And now the inheritance is not, is commingled, you know, because the divorce happened out of nowhere. It's considered part of marital property. I mean, it could be considered marital property if you commingle it. And maybe you did commingle it because you didn't know your husband was going to file for divorce. Right. Maybe, or your wife or whoever. Right. Right. And so- now the money is part of a divorce settlement. Now, who wants their hard-earned family money to go to the ex-spouse of their child? Uh, nobody. I don't know anybody that wants that. Right. So these are just some examples of why outright distributions to your children may not be what you want. You just didn't know. Okay. Um, let's talk about the title of your house. That's another thing that people don't maybe understand. A lot of people don't want to go through probate and I get that. And so in order to avoid probate, they'll have their house titled with a transfer on death to whoever, you know, their children or whoever it is it's it's going to pass to. And that's not a bad idea, except that that type of, of vehicle is not creditor proof. And so there may be a better way to get that house to pass directly to your loved one without using that particular uh, title. So what's the answer? Again, I'm that's where I'm going to stop because I know there are instruments out there. I know, uh, you know, I use it. I've used it personally, but I don't want to give legal advice on a podcast or any any other way because I'm not a lawyer. But I can tell you these are mistakes people made because they do not understand. So these are things that you really need to consider and talk to somebody who knows what to do in these situations. Yeah. And the first step starts with educating yourself with what questions to even ask. Unfortunately, there are some, I hate to say this, but there are some lazy attorneys out there that will just give you a boilerplate set of wills and they don't really ask all these questions. So if you don't ask the questions, you know, you might get something you just maybe would have preferred to have more customized. I, I want to bring up another another point here. What if when you pass away, your spouse gets remarried? Now, nobody ever thinks about what their spouse is going to do when they pass away, and maybe your spouse will never remarry. But let's say your spouse gets remarried, and then that new spouse um, changes things changes the documents. Uh, maybe they change the title to an account that, that you held with your, your spouse. Maybe you had a joint account and the title of that account is joint with right of survivorship. And uh, now here comes wife number two, and that title stays joint with right of survivorship, but now it's with her. Right. Okay. So you just accidentally 
disinherit your children. And how does that happen? Because, okay, you passed away. Money now belongs to the husband. Husband gets remarried. New wife wants joint with right of survivorship, which means there's doesn't matter what the, what the documents say, because it prevails. And now that money, when your husband passes away is automatically her, doesn't matter what the documents say. And when she passes away, where do you think that money's going? Is it going to your children? Nope. No, no. Um, now it could be unintentional or it could be intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. People just don't know how all this stuff works. So let's talk about um, estate planning mistakes that people make when it comes to their aging parents. Yeah. Yeah. So people want to plan for their aging parents. And so this is a, a hot topic. Um, and there's mistakes there too. I think that again, one of the biggest mistakes is, well, it's, we have time. We have time before we have to really do anything. And we know that it's never a given. It's never a given. Absolutely. Well, when I hear people say, well, you know, it's not time yet to have that conversation with my, my father or my mother, what I'm really um, hearing them say is I don't, it's uncomfortable. And of course it's uncomfortable. Right. And, and with some parents, they make it even more uncomfortable because they don't, they're uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about their money and, and how, you know, that's kind of an intrusive question. So I get that it's, it's an awkward and uncomfortable conversation but it has to be had. And I'm going to give you an example. Um, if you, if you wait until it's time, okay, your, your, your father is now diagnosed with dementia. Okay. Now he's not of sound mind to sign any documents. So if you don't have anything in place for his incapacitation, now we're not talking about his death. We're talking about his incapacitation. He's now incapacitated because he cannot, he's not of sound mind. He's got dementia. And if you don't have a statutory power of attorney, some sort of financial power of attorney in place, and he's got medical bills, guess who's paying for those? Because you can't take money out of his account to pay for those. You don't have the right to, you don't have anything in place to, that makes you power of attorney. So hmm. what do you do? You have to lay out your own money. And this is exactly what happened in, in an example that, that uh, I want to give. There was a son. He did not have the conversation with his father, his father, um, you know, the, the mother had passed a while before. Now his father is, is now, uh, diagnosed with dementia. He's, he's needing care. The son had to lay out all the money because he had no right, legal right, to get to his father's money to pay his father's medical bills. So what he had to do is he had to go get a guardianship. Now, a guardianship is not something you want to go and do. It should be and is the last resort because it's expensive and it's difficult. Uh, and you know, we're talking 10000 easily. Wow. $10,000 easily. And then, and it takes time, right? So he went to get the guardianship. Meanwhile, he's laying out all the money to pay for the, the, the medical bills. And now what you're, what you're doing is, is the guardianship is asking the court for permission every time you want to touch the money. So there's, there's provisions laid out about how you're touching the money. You have to file reports with the, 
with the court on a regular basis. Uh, this is just not what you want to go through. I don't know anyone who would want to go through this. So what if you just put your name on your parents' account? Yeah, that's what that's what a lot of people do. They put their money or their name on their parents' account. Now it's a joint account, so they both have equal access. So that seems to take care of the problem, right? I would think. Yeah, except that it doesn't take care of the problem because it opens up potential new problems. And one that could could potentially happen is if you get sued for whatever reason, there's some sort of creditor coming after you. Now they can come after the account your name is on with your parents. So now they can come after their money. So let's say you're driving along in your car and you're looking down at your phone and texting and you have an accident. I always use the car example because it's just so common. Yes. And you can now get sued. It's an at-fault accident. Now they can come after your parents' account because your name's on it. Well, and the car example is perfect because there are so many people that when you say, if you get sued, people just automatically go, well, I'm not going to get sued, but right. it's very possible. Do we live in a litigious society, Wendy? <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you can look that stuff up. There's all kinds of data about number of lawsuits and, you know, in the United States and, and how, and how many of those are related to car accidents and people don't realize that their car liability protection may not be very much. Um, or uh, enough to, to handle something like this. And, and so they can go after your, your assets um, that are not protected. So one of the first questions I ask my clients is, do you know which of your assets are not protected from creditors and potential lawsuits? And many, many, many people do not. Hi, it's Michelle. Do you want some more information about some of the topics we've been discussing? I've got good news. After teaching in-person classes on retirement planning for years at local community colleges, I've put together some webinars you can listen to in the comfort of your own home on various topics such as estate planning, avoiding tax pitfalls in retirement, and various other topics. Reach out to us for the webinar replays, and we will be happy to send them to you. You can find all of my contact information, including my social channels, in today's show notes. Now let's get back to today's episode. So you got to you got to know that and okay so back to the aging parent. So you you probably don't want to do the joint account thing, right? Okay. You don't want to wait until it's too late. So we know those two things you must not do those. Um so what's the answer? The answer is to get a power of attorney in place for your aging parent before something like this happens where they can sign for it because they're not considered, a, you know, with, they're not diagnosed with something that says they can't sign for it. And, and if it's a, if it's a statutory power of attorney that is, that goes into effect immediately upon their signature, their notarized signature. Well, now you can, if you're named as the attorney, in fact, now you can take care of them financially with their money. Um, now, obviously there has to be trust in a family. I was if they don't say, trust. Like, how do you work around the fact that maybe somebody has an only child and mm -hmm. it's a situation that we talked about before where they're not good with money and they're afraid that their money might start disappearing? Yeah, that's a real problem. So if you and your parents do not have a, a trust relationship, then you can't, you can't do 
the the statutory durable power of attorney that I'm that I'm talking about because okay. it gives you the ability to access the money immediately. You don't have to wait for anything to happen. Now, that being said, you could get in trouble if you are not acting as a fiduciary. I mean, they they could, you know, there could be legal action brought against you and but that takes time. It takes time and, and so yeah, you got to have trust. If you don't have trust, then it is a problem. Someone who is very trustworthy needs to be named this attorney in fact. So somebody's got to do it. So does it have to be a family member? No. Okay. No, it could be anybody. It's just got to be someone that's that's able and willing and someone you can trust. And you bet it preferably should should name more than one person in terms of a contingent person. Okay. You know, like in case backup. that yeah, a backup. What if that person passed away or they can't do it for whatever reason? So what do you think? What is the best advice that we can be doing at this point? Yeah. So I want to talk about the springing power of attorney versus the regular durable financial power of attorney. Um, most people don't have a clue what the difference is. And, and I, I want to talk about the springing power of attorney first. So here's, here's what that is and why I don't think that's the answer for this situation. So the springing power of attorney, I don't know if that's a nickname. I think it's a nickname. I don't know if that's the technical term, but let me tell you what that is. And I, I tell my clients in order to remember springing power of attorney, like which one is which it springs to life when something else happens. So what's that something else? When your parent is determined to be incapacitated by medical opinion, then it becomes effective. Okay. So it's not effective until that happens. And you, let's say you're named the attorney of, in fact, so you now can take control if the medical opinion says that your mom or dad or whoever is incapacitated. Now, sounds like a good plan, right? Yeah, it'll help with that other problem that we were worried about, right? Absolutely would help with the other problem. But what if, here's an example of why that could maybe not be the answer. Let's say you have a parent who is beginning to show signs of problems. Maybe it's your mother. You notice that the bills are piling up. That's not like her. Maybe she's putting the keys in the refrigerator. Maybe uh, uh, she's leaving the cooktop on. I mean, but it's not all the time. You're just starting to notice some behavior that's not like her. So you're concerned. So now, uh, and let's say you have the springing power of attorney. She already did that, right? So now you have to get two medical opinions. That's the, that's the norm in these documents. You have to get two medical opinions that your mother has dementia and she's incapacitated. So you, you first, first hurdle is mom, I, I want to take you to the doctor. What if mom says, no, mm. I don't want you, I'm not going, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. Okay. So you, you got to get over that hurdle, but let's say that your mother says, fine, let's go to the doctor. So you take her to the doctor and it's on one of her good days. You know, people that are beginning uh, with the onset of, of this type of dementia, they don't all, it's not every day that they have this kind of situation. It's, it's not like have, a light switch. Right. They have good days. They have bad days. So maybe the day of your doctor's appointment with her is a good day. So you take her to the doctor. Doctor says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She's fine. I, I can't, I can't give a medical opinion that she's, that she's got dementia. She's, she's perfectly fine. 
Okay. So that can happen. So you see that, see the trouble that's, that's coming here. And then let's, let's say that that didn't happen, that the doctor agrees with you. Okay. So now you've got doctor opinion. Number one, it's, it's written, written down. Now you got to go to a second doctor and the same thing could happen. So I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying that, but you got to understand how in reality this plays out. And maybe a springing power of attorney is not the ideal document for your family because there's trust in your family. Just get the financial power of attorney that's in effect immediately upon execution of the document and cut all that out. I think the sad part is I think that these measures are put in place to protect people when in essence, what it is doing is just messing everything up. Yeah. And here's where the conversation should occur between the attorney and the client. Do you think it actually works out that way? No. <laughs> I mean, it does on occasion, but what I find is that the attorney just put that in place and no one really had a conversation. And let's face it, the attorney does not know the client the way their financial advisor knows the client. Um, maybe they do, but I, I, I'm talking in generalities. What I find is that when I explain to people, well, did you know you have a springing power of attorney? And did you know that means you need two medical opinions? Oh, no, that's not what I want. They don't even know. Right. And I'm wondering, well, why why wouldn't the conversation happen? And And sometimes it does, and oftentimes it doesn't. Can I ask you something? Is this something that if people are doing the work, filing the papers, uh, would you, as someone's financial advisor, want to read these papers before they are signed? Absolutely. That's okay. what we do. So when I tell- um, So it's not my, hopeless. <laughs> oh, no, it's not hopeless. So yeah, I don't want to paint the picture that's hopeless. What I what I do, my, my role is to, first of all, have these conversations with my clients before they even see the attorney and ask all these kinds of questions is, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And let them ponder these questions and, and consider what's best for them. Then what I often do is I'll type up a summary of this discussion for their attorney that before they meet with the attorney. So now the attorney kind of has a synopsis of what it is that they, they want. Okay. Then when they sit with the attorney, um, they're one step ahead of the game. And the attorney is also appreciative because they've got a lot of this information uh, out of the way. And I will stay as involved as my client wants. I, I would like to be in these meetings. Um, if I'm, if let's say it's not necessary for me to be in these meetings or, or, you know, maybe the meetings, you know, I don't have to be in the meetings, but I want to be copied on correspondence. And the, what I'm looking for is perhaps the attorney is not aware of some of the accounts that the client has that maybe the client doesn't understand are relevant to talk about and how those work with the documents, because that's something that I understand. So I'm just another pair of eyes to just make sure everything's flowing the way it should. I can act as translator because oftentimes the attorney talks in language that maybe is not completely understood. So I'll just take what the attorney says and kind of just put it in layman's language. Um, and I'm, I'm reviewing the documents because my job, I'm, I'm the one that's, that's got oversight of the financial accounts. So whatever the financial accounts have has to be in agreement with the documents. And if they're not, 
then the whole thing is just worthless. So it's good that you're kind of giving a heads up of certain terminology to look out for from the get go. Yes, I, I'm looking out for terminology. I'm looking out for taxes. Oftentimes the attorneys don't look at taxes. Mm. They don't even think about taxes. They're looking at liability and, and all these other things, but they're not necessarily considering the tax element of what could happen. And now that we had the Secure Act uh, pass with the, and Secure Act 2.0, um, there are special rules about RMDs, required minimum distributions, on inherited accounts that I know very well because that's that's my that's my area. And I just want to make sure that it's all been considered by everybody. So it's a team effort. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that that um I know everything because I don't, but perhaps I know something about their accounts that the attorney just didn't get from the client. And maybe it was because the client just didn't know it was relevant. Hmm. It sounds like a lot, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, it is. But but when it gets done and done well, then then everybody's at peace with documents in place that will protect them against situations that can happen. And you know, and and it may be that a trust is the best answer. You know, maybe a revocable living trust that has provisions that, that address all of these concerns. Maybe it's a trust that has asset protection, and that's a whole you know conversation with your attorney. It's a a trust that has asset protection and you you pick a certain state that has different laws and they can set that up. Maybe, maybe privacy is important. So, so, you know, a trust has that and will does not, uh, you know, so I'm not saying that a trust is the answer, but I'm saying that maybe a trust could be the answer to address things you didn't even know bothered you because nobody brought it up. So if anybody has more questions and I'm sure that we all do, how do we get in touch with you, Michelle? Yeah, so you can you can visit our website if that's the easiest way to to remember gesnerwealthstrategies.com or just give us a call 713-589-6448. And be sure to click the follow button so you're notified when new episodes are released because next month we have another guest, Kim Hegwood, owner and managing attorney of Your Legacy Legal Care who will take today's discussion surrounding estate planning a bit further and focus on how to plan for your long-term care. Because the reality is that we all die, but we would like to make sure that when it's our time to go, our loved ones are taken care of and our hard-earned money goes to the people and the causes that are important to us, protected from things that could go wrong. So join me next month to continue to learn about how you can retire to a life you love. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to Retire to a Life You Love with Michelle Gessner from Gessner Wealth Strategies. We hope you were inspired to take steps to your financial freedom as you learned new techniques and strategies for managing your finances. To learn more about how you can improve your financial landscape, Visit our website at www.gesnerwealthstrategies.com. That's G-E-S-S-N-E-R wealthstrategies.com. Or give Michelle and her team a call at 713-589-6448. And don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes are available.
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Michelle Gessner or Gessner Wealth Strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. The information covered in this episode is general information for educational purposes only that is not intended to be construed as or substituted for professional legal advice. Michelle Gessner is not an attorney and is not providing legal advice. Listeners are encouraged to seek the professional advice of a licensed attorney and tax advisor for their estate planning.